Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. Problematic Women has a big announcement today. I feel like we need a drum roll. Maybe we can cue that. <laughs> you don't even put in sound effects, John. I got it. <laughs> Lauren took care of that drum roll. Excellent. Problematic Women is changing things up and bringing you more great content every month. Starting next week, we will be bringing you an exclusive interview every second and fourth Tuesday of the month. And every Thursday morning, Virginia and I will still be breaking down so many big news stories and, of course, crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. The Thursday show will be exclusively focused on breaking down the news and the stories that you, as conservative women, really care about. And we're also going to be hearing from a couple different regular contributors to the show, including Kelsey Buller and Kate Trinko. We're so excited to have Kate and Kelsey as regular contributors to Problematic Women. The Tuesday interview only shows will be a deep dive into issues conservative women really care about. From the fight to protect women's sports, to the fight for life, national security, and so much more. You are now going to be getting more discussion from Lauren and I and the Problematic Women contributors you care about and still hearing exclusive Problematic Women interviews every second and fourth Tuesday of the month. Next week, we will kick off our new discussion format. And on Tuesday, September 14th, you can listen to an exclusive Problematic Woman interview. I'm so excited for this. This has been something that's been in the works for a little while. And just excited to kick off this new format, give you guys more of the content that you love. But speaking of being excited, I'm also excited for this week's show. So, Lauren, what do we have queued up? Up on today's Problematic Women, we discuss the end of America's 20-year war in Afghanistan. Plus, football season is here. For me, this means college football. And Virginia, it means watching Tom Brady. Yep. (laughs) And Kanye West finally dropped his new album. We share our take. Plus, we share remarks from the former ambassador of Afghanistan to the U.S. discussing what the future holds for the Afghan people. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. All right, let's get to it. It is the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, it really is. I don't know if you can steal. It's You can't take Christmas, Lauren. It's like, you can't steal from the Christmas I season mean, to talk about football. It's just, it's so much better. It's, it doesn't even last one day. It lasts a whole literal season. <laughs> Christmas but, is a season. Okay. College football officially kicked off last week, and it really gets going this week. I am... A huge college football fan. I love my UCF Knights, but I really just love the sport in general. And I always joke, Problematic Women is probably the premier conservative, feminist, women's podcast, but also the college football podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But I just like college football is great because it's an excuse to bring lots of friends over, make great food. I already did that last weekend. We made a pork butt. We had spinach dip, buffalo chicken dip. 
and we just kind of sat and watched football, and, and I'm excited to do that again. And if you're like me and starting on Thursday, you want to spend every waking hour <laughs> watching college football, I have you covered. So Thursday, we're going to start 8 p.m. ESPN, UCF Boise State. It's going to be in Orlando, so it's going to be hot, which is going to be a big obstacle for Boise State. You know, Idaho is hot, but not Florida hot. Uh, but these teams are very evenly matched. Both have new coaches. Really excited. Both are looking to get into the Big 12. So it's a huge stage for both of these teams. I think UCF's going to come out, but definitely a game that's going to be exciting till the very end. Friday, also primetime, NC State, Virginia Tech. But it's going to be an ACC showdown. Really excited for that one. Saturday morning, 12 p.m., Tulane at OU, you might think that's kind of a weird game. They're not rivals. They're in different conferences. But unfortunately, due to the hurricane, this game was going to be held on campus in New Orleans at Tulane, which for Oklahoma to be at Tulane, that's a huge game. I mean, Tulane has a great facility. It's so fun to go down to New Orleans. But, I mean, that would be like a high school football team hosting OU. So it's been moved, but that just always kind of – creates a fire in the belly of these teams. So while I, I think this game might have been more of a blowout, I really I think this will be interesting, and also with OU moving to the SEC sometime in the near future. Then at 3.30 we have Miami versus Bama. This is going to be in Atlanta. This is like, uh, you know, a 1980s, like, good college football showdown. I'm sure there's going to be lots of, you know, the Miami team's going to have all their turnover chains, and, you know, Bama just – is a huge football dynasty. All those guys that you see, I think the opening week of the NFL, three starting quarterbacks were all from Alabama. So really excited for that. And then the biggest game of the day. And I love this game because so many college football teams at the beginning of the season are so afraid to play actual games because they don't want people to remember their losses, right? So they try to kind of hide these big games in the middle of the season. But this in Charlotte, the University of Georgia versus Clemson, I mean, this could be a national championship-type game. So, oh, I'm so excited. It's a great lineup. Lauren, oh. you keep me educated when it comes to college football because <laughs> I'm just, like, sitting here smiling and nodding. Like, yeah, 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 okay, okay. <laughs> I know all these facts. No, I don't. <laughs> no, I, I am really excited for the Georgia-Clemson game. Uh, I, I lived in Georgia, went to high school in Georgia, so I consider myself a Georgia fan, but my brother-in-law and sister are massive Clemson fans. So, um Honestly, and probably any Georgia fans listening will be angry if you hear me say this, but I'm kind of going to be happy either way. (laughs) Uh, But it it is going to be interesting because both teams have new Mm -hmm. quarterbacks. There's really, really strong on on both sides. They have similar weaknesses, similar strengths. one of the, the favorite players at Clemson, Justin Ross, he was out all last year for a spinal surgery. He's back. People are super excited to see him back on the field. Is this going to be a great showdown? Do you want to know my favorite Clemson fun fact? Oh. So you know the name of the Clemson coach? Yeah. His name is Dabo. Dabo, yeah. You know how he got that nickname? I actually don't. When he was a young kid, they would call him Dat Boy. Oh, and literally, that's so cute. <laughs> it literally got shortened <laughs> to, to Debo. Debo. <laughs> oh, that is really cute. Oh, man, I love that. Well, for those who are NFL fans like me, uh, you can look well, forward uh, to. Uh, uh, I know, I know, I know. But on Thursday, September 9th, that is the kickoff of the NFL season. The first game is actually going to be in Tampa, the home of the Buccaneers and Tom Brady. So for those of you who have not listened before, in some ways, 
I hesitate to share this information because a listener once told me that uh, I lost some credibility with them when they found <laughs> out I liked Tom Brady. <laughs> but I am originally from New England and uh, grew up as a Patriots fan. But like so many Patriots fans, we have a deep-seated loyalty to Tom Brady. So when Tom went down to Florida to the Buccaneers, uh, you know, all of all of New England's loyalties are now split between the two. It was awesome to see him win yet another Super Bowl uh, in his in his 40s. It's incredible last year. And so now he's 43, still going strong. He's looked good so far. We'll see what happens. But uh, it's it's going to also be interesting to see how the Patriots do this year because they, uh, they've let go of Cam Newton. Mac Jones is their new quarterback. He was a first-round draft pick from Alabama. So uh, everyone's kind of holding their breath to see how he does and if he can actually hold his own. The big game of the season uh, is between the Buccaneers and um, and the Patriots, and that's happening in early October. Tickets for that game are more than Super Bowl tickets. Wow. People are watching this game. I'm very excited for it. Is that going to be hosted up in New England? It's going to be in Foxborough. Wow. Yeah, it's going to be a wild time. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't imagine when Tom Brady walks into that stadium, what is going to be the I know. (laughs) It's going to be madness. (laughs) Uh, Well, today's show just keeps getting better because we are talking about two of Lauren's favorite things, football and none other than Kanye West. Well, Kanye, well... Maybe Kanye didn't actually release, but Kanye's latest <laughs> album, Donda, dropped on Sunday. The album is named after his late mother. Uh, one interesting thing about the album and Kanye's relationship with his mom, that he had always been really close. She was really one of the first people to ever believe in him and his ability to become a famous rapper. And uh, she died of cosmetic surgery. It was not a, you know, any kind of surgery that she needed to get. And Kanye... I really believe feels the guilt for her death because he feels like if he wasn't famous, mm-hmm. she wouldn't have felt like she needed to do any of this. Mm-hmm. And so I really feel like that pain is shown in this album. Um, it There was a delayed release. There has been I mean, so many watch parties and Kanye lived in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium for a while. It's just been a wild ride for those who have been following this. But it released it is a very long album i believe it's 27 tracks which jesus is king his previous album which won a grammy for best gospel album i mean i think was 35 minutes like i'll listen to it i'm like i just like kanye it could be a little longer but now this one i listen to it i'm like i have to get up from my desk and i (laughs) I come back and and still like what's still Kanye. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but overall, I, I I love it. I think it's high energy, uh, and we do have a clip from one of my favorite songs on the album. I know God breathed on this. 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 I know he got his hands on this. I know we got a chance on this. No, I never planned on this. I might need a band on this. This might get banned off rip. Gonna say something for y'all quick. Let me know something. Who y'all with? Don't know nothing. I know this. I know God breathed on this. I know God breathed on this. I know God like, isn't that just a jam? It really is. I, I think that might be my favorite song yeah. on the album. Because yeah. it's, I I like rap songs in the car, mainly is yeah. where I listen to rap. And like, you just need something that like the bass kicks it. Yeah. 
Like if you're, if you're out on a run listening to that song, like you're just, you know, you're just going to go like 15, 20, 30 seconds faster. Yeah. You're just going to like <laughs> automatically <laughs> kicks in. Yeah. I mean, but Lauren, there was there was so much drama around this album. Do we know why the release date kept on getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back? I mean, it, it's Kanye. People tell a lot of criticisms of him. And I think a lot of them are justified. He is a he's brilliant right he yeah. is uh, you can't deny that from his music from the very beginning his lyrics and the way that he builds it but i do think that brilliance comes with a little instability and he for this project because it has his mother's name on it i think he had such a need for perfection and that he really like did not want to leave anything exactly he did not want to leave anything not exactly how he wanted it. Mm-hmm. And I think it really weighed on him. But at the end of the day, this is a business. And he's been doing all these shows and being very public. And who knows the the real story? But it it came out and yeah. it, it's good. And I, I guess my, my if Kanye West is listening to this, like, just release more music. <laughs> Do it more often, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. Like, you want to perfect some of these songs? Great. Like, you can always drop stuff on Spotify. And, I mean, it, this album has been incredibly successful all over the world, 100 million streams. Like, it's just – it's really affecting people and – not everybody loves it, but not everybody's going to love everything mm-hmm. that you cho- that you do. It's a really unique style. And the fact you mentioned him being such an artist, I, I was listening to it last night and I was like, he really is a unique artist. Like he makes music that no one else makes. It has such a unique sound. Uh, and you really, I feel like, almost feel um, a little bit of heaviness in a lot mm-hmm. of the songs. Like he really put his heart and soul mm-hmm. into it. And you can say, I think because it is named after his late mom, you can kind of feel that grief almost mixed in with the songs, which is really fascinating. And I think a testament to his abilities as an artist. The only thing that makes me feel a little icky about this album, and it's really unfortunate because it's so unnecessary, but at the third and final listening party, Kanye included Marilyn Manson. And he's just not a good guy. I mean, there there's people that Kanye could associate himself with where it's like okay he, he he hangs out with sinners like we all do or but like Marilyn Manson has some very credible sexual assault allegations and it's just yeah, like for Kanye there's there's other ways that you could show like he we wanted Marilyn Manson to show this like devil like concert but like just have a normal dude wear a costume you don't actually need Marilyn Manson there yeah it was is an interesting choice and i think again like it goes back to He's such a creative person and like a little different. And so like I get what he was going for, but not not necessary. Definitely not necessary. Well, we've hit on this a lot, but I do want to just a couple of my favorite lyrics from the album. One is from Lord, I need you. And it's the devil run the playground, but God owns the building. Yeah. Like that's awesome. <laughs> praise God. The devil, my op can't pay me to stop my God at the top. We're going to praise our way to, out of the grave. Live and speak and praising God, walking out of the grave back to life. I serve, follow your word, see with new sight into the night. Like that is just it's good. beautiful. It's beautiful. That's poetry. And then Donda. So this is uh, actually the beginning of this is 
from a speech that Kanye's mother made in 2007. And it says, we came from somewhere, not just from the wombs of our mothers and the seeds of our fathers, but from a long line of generations who came before us. And then it goes into, it's the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I just uh, think like that's so like so beautiful. And and that's a great way f- for his mom to be remembered. You yeah. know, it's it's not that we just come from physical humans. It's that we come from, you know, it, the generations that come before us. And yeah. I just I, I love I, I uh it's been it's been fun. Like I, I <laughs> you know, you get in your car and you're like, Oh yeah, Kanye really said out like let's bop. So <laughs> let's go. Yeah. Powerful, powerful lyrics. Well, while I could talk about football in Kanye West all day, there is some really depressing and unfortunate news happening out of Afghanistan, and we need to discuss it here on Problematic Women. The final American soldier in Afghanistan boarded a plane at the Kabul airport earlier this week, bringing America's longest war to an end. We had troops in Afghanistan for almost 20 years President Biden has been harshly criticized for the way that he handled the pullout and for the sober reality that today the Taliban controls more of Afghanistan than they did on September 11th, 2001. Yet Biden is standing by the decision that he made to fully withdraw all American troops from Afghanistan by August 31st. Here's what Biden had to say about the evacuation and the conclusion of the war during his speech on Tuesday per CNBC. I refuse to continue the war that was no longer in the service of the vital national interest of our people. And most of all, after 800,000 Americans serving Afghanistan, I've traveled that whole country, brave and honorable service, After 20,744 American servicemen and women injured and the loss of 2,461 American personnel, including 13 lives, lost just this week, I refuse to open another decade of warfare in Afghanistan. We've been a nation too long at war. If you're 20 years old today, You've never known an America at peace. So when I hear that we could have, should have continued the so-called low-grade effort in Afghanistan at low risk to our service members, at low cost, I don't think enough people understand how much we've asked of the 1% of this country who put that uniform on, willing to put their lives on the line in defense of our nation, So since July, America evacuated at least 122,000 people, including 5,400 Americans from Afghanistan. It was the largest uh, evacuation that America has ever done. Of course, that's impressive. That should be celebrated. At the same time, there are still between 100 and 200 Americans that want to leave Afghanistan that are now stuck there. There are thousands of our Afghan partners who we made commitments to that are still stuck in the country. And honestly, uh, their fate is is yet to be determined. Uh, America is committed to continue to try and you know get those Americans out. It's, it's not a good situation. Um, and to leave those individuals really in the hands of the Taliban, gosh, that's scary to say. One thing that I was really fascinated to learn, though, um, earlier this week, I spoke on the Daily Signal podcast with the Heritage Foundation's 
Luke Coffey. He is an expert on the Middle East and um, has has served. And he told me that uh, one of Afghanistan's 34 provinces, Penshir province, that it is actually under the control of a resistance movement. And that movement is led by Ahmed Shah Massoud Jr. And um, the resistance movement is called National Resistance Front of Afghanistan. And Luke Coffey, he told me that really this is probably Afghanistan's best hope of of seeing uh, there be positive movement towards pushing back the Taliban. He's guessing that um, probably their strategy is that this resistance movement, they're going to try and get through the winter and kind of continue to grow in in strength and hopefully attract more resistance fighters. Uh, And eventually maybe that those individuals might try and begin retaking some provinces in Afghanistan. That's, of course, you know, yet to be foreseen. And uh, as as Luke said, while, uh, you know, it would be fantastic to see America kind of partner with them. It's also very likely that these resistance fighters just don't really trust America right now after seeing what happened in Afghanistan. But that probably uh, probably these resistance fighters are Afghanistan's best hope of seeing seeing freedom again anytime soon. Well, it's good to hear that there's some good news, but overall it's just incredibly just mind-blowing about how terribly this is handled. And Anytime that any reporter asks the Biden administration about how how could it be this bad, they're always like, well, we need to get out of Afghanistan. And and that's not the question the American people want. Mm -hmm. Whether or not we should have gotten out of Afghanistan is a policy debate we can have, and and it's an important one. But why would you take all of the military out before getting every American who wants to get out out? Why would you leave the military bases and – the larger airports before getting everyone out and this gross incompetence on the world stage it's going to embolden our enemies they're going to say america's is going to care more about their internal politics and and winning some small favorability rather than actually keeping what they said rather than actually fighting rather than actually you know being this beacon of hope like we have been on the world stage and two uh, real relationships that we've had and been building for for centuries with people like Great Britain and France and and NATO why, how or why should they ever trust us again yeah no it really puts such a strain on all of those relationships and you know i just the, over the past week you know it really starts to hit you of okay the ripple effects of the decisions that president biden made we could be feeling for generations. There are uh, massive implications to the decisions that he made. And like you say, Lauren, like we can debate, okay, you know, should we have always maintained a presence in Afghanistan? I don't know. But obviously right now, it didn't seem like the Afghan fighters were ready for us to pull out. And the way that we pulled out, left our Afghan partners high and dry, has left Americans stranded in the country, this is a really desperate situation, uh, and we hope and pray that the Taliban doesn't take advantage, but all the experts are saying they're going to take advantage of this situation. They already have, and they're going to continue to. Yeah, and the fact that we are – plan A is to trust the Taliban. It's just – yeah, <laughs> like, come on. like They are our enemy. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, 
Stay with us because up next, we share a portion of a recent Heritage Foundation event with Ambassador Roya Romani. Ambassador Romani was the first female Afghan ambassador to America, and she explains some of the challenges the Afghan people will now face under the Taliban. But first, I do want to take just a moment to tell you all about another excellent Heritage Foundation podcast called Heritage Explains. Hosted by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, they break down the big policy debates that you hear about in the news at a 101 level. They use news clips, music, they tell a story, but they also bring on heritage experts to explain really complex issues. I learn so much listening to these podcasts because they really are fun and they're super informative. So go ahead and pull out your phone if you're not driving and subscribe to Heritage Explains so you can be in the know on the issues you care about. Earlier this week, the former ambassador of Afghanistan to the U.S., Roya Romani, joined a Heritage Foundation event to discuss the reality of life under Taliban rule. Romani served as ambassador from December 2018 through July 2021. She explains why the road ahead is a challenging one for Afghanistan. Let's take a listen to the ambassador's remarks. Thank you. The inter- international communities biggest and most tangible achievement was the progress of women that was achieved over the past 20 years, Uh, yet the most fragile one uh, at the same time. Uh, Women have made massive progress in the past 20 years. This had direct contribution and relationship with the uh, national security agenda, with the counterterrorism strategies, and the economic development, social development, change in the mindsets, and much more. Uh, This has been one of the biggest uh, successes that the past 20 years, uh, we were able uh, to uh, uh, achieve. Uh, However, uh, at this point, yet again, as I mentioned, that this is the most fragile one at the same time, it seems that the women will be those who will be losing the most, uh, whether it is because of conflict or uh, the authoritarian um, regime uh, that uh, is oppressive towards women. So, so far, the Taliban have tried to put a uh, more moderate uh, PR face uh, stating that uh, they would allow women to enjoy the, the rights and liberties that they have had over the past 20 years with a caveat that it had to be within the Islamic Sharia. Now, that uh, introduction or injection is very loaded because Afghanistan is a Muslim country and women of Afghanistan have been practicing uh, Islamic uh, rules and laws all along. Uh, to inject that, it, it basically also means that they would be subjected to the sort of interpretation that we have seen uh, potentially the kinds of it uh, in the 1990s. And that is a very alarming situation for all Afghan women. What I have been able 
to do in terms of promotion of women's rights uh, over the uh, during my work uh, i would say that prior to working with the uh, afghan government uh, i worked with the non-profit world uh, where um, my own focus was mostly on uh, building the capacity uh, as well as advocacy supporting the local organizations um, so that this uh, the civil society would be more sustainable more self-sufficient and also to think that way to be more creative and, and to think how they could work sustainably without the international aid because it was always uh, clear that it would not continue to be at the same level as it was way back in early 2000s. Uh, that was uh, where I was mostly focused. Uh, second, as, as a member of the Afghan government for over the past decades, uh, my focus was also to bring women's rights and women's issues uh, from the margin to the center to continue to advocate that it should not be looked at as an ethical issue only or a moral issue, a tech box that would bring nicety and uh, um, uh, symbolism uh, to the politics, but uh, why? it matters tangibly and how it could have a huge impact moving forward. How does it relate to economy? How does it relate to security? How does it relate to social change, uh, defeating uh, extremism and terrorism? Hila Najabula, a conflict and peace researcher and author of the book Reconciliation and Social Healing in Afghanistan, also joined that same event to share a little bit of the history of the role Afghan women have played in the country over the years. She explains what the future may now hold for Afghan women under the Taliban. Let's take a listen. Afghanistan, before the history of Cold War and um, also during the Cold War, the women of Afghanistan had their freedoms. They had their engagements in the government. Um, they were people who were active. Um, so it's not only after 2001 that they were liberated. You must understand that um, during the civil war when the mujahideen took over in 92 when the women role was limited according to the sharia and then by the taliban from 96 onward so in 2001 uh, after the fall of the twin towers the new government was established and they came over there was almost a a renewal of um, uh, platforms for the Afghan women to re-emerge as the roles that, that they have had before. I mean, my grandmother used to work as the manager of Kabul Hotel and then later on Ariana Airlines. My mother was the director of school in the 1980s. So um, to just put it in perspective that Afghan women have always been active, have always been um, uh, very uh, right-centric, whether, and yes, there have been Muslims, but they have had uh, their share of challenges under whatever government or monarchy or regime that they have been, but they have fought and they fought hard. Unfortunately, with the current circumstances, they seem to, uh, their voices seem to be cut again and they've been reduced to uh, a minority and second citizens. 
You can listen to that full Heritage Foundation event by visiting the Heritage website and clicking on events. All of the comments by the ambassador and Hila Najabula, really, really fantastic. They had so many great insights, so be sure to check it out. It's easy to get overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle. So if you're looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters, the Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day. Hosts Doug Blair, Rob Bluey, and me, Virginia Allen, bring you headlines and interviews with lawmakers, authors, and conservative activists. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast available every weekday morning. It is now that time, once again, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to Marine Sergeant Nicole G. and Sergeant Johanny Rosari Picardo. Sergeant Nicole G. and Sergeant Johanny Rosario Picardo are the two women who lost their lives in the bombing at the Kabul airport. Nicole was only 23 years old from California. She was a daughter, a sister, and a wife. Nicole's big sister, Misty, talked to CBS Sacramento about her sister just a couple days ago. She had an incredible, fiery passion for what she was doing. She loved She loved every second of it with all her heart. Sergeant Johanny Rosari Picardo was the other female soldier killed in the bombing. She was 25 years old and from Massachusetts. And you know, I just think of these families that uh, the 13 families that lost loved ones in Kabul in that suicide bombing and the grief that they are experiencing and going through. I just can't imagine. Um, you know, so many of these people were only only 20 years old. I think the oldest soldier killed was 31 uh, and everyone else was, you know, 25, 23, 20. These were young, young folks. So I I do want to take a moment and just read the names of the 13 service members killed in the bombing just as a way both to honor them, to honor their sacrifice, and to recognize for, for their families, for their friends listening. We want to remember, of course, uh, you know, that, that pain and that loss, that doesn't go away. But uh, our commitment is that we won't forget their sacrifice. Staff Sergeant Darren Hoover, Corporal Hunter Lopez, Corporal Dagan Page, Corporal Umberto Sanchez, Lance Corporal David Espinoza, Lance Corporal Jared Smits, Lance Corporal Riley McCollum, Lance Corporal Dylan Marola, Lance Corporal Kareem Nikawi, Navy Corpsman Maxton Soviak, Staff Sergeant Ryan Knaus, Sergeant Johanny Rosaro Picardo, Sergeant Nicole G. This is a bit of a sober way to end the show, but I do think it's just really important to recognize these individuals and to remember their sacrifice. So, um, yeah, encourage you all to just be uh, be thinking and praying for those families. And there are really beautiful tribute videos for a lot of these folks on YouTube. I was watching some of them last night and just really, really moving to hear about these individuals' lives, to recognize that they were real people like you and I who had lives and families. And um, yeah, our, our hearts and prayers are, are with those families and their friends.
a great tribute, Virginia. And with that, it's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. In the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Enjoy your long weekend if you have Monday off, and we'll be back with you all next Thursday with our new format. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.